Visible is a wireless carrier that is not invisible. It is pretty clear from the name, actually, radio waves are invisible. And I can say this with authority as a licensed amateur radio operator. That being said, Visible won't be giving you the power to see light outside the visible spectrum. It's actually way better because having that ability would make getting around very difficult and distracting. What you do get with Visible is unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. You get one line of wireless, just $25 a month, which is great in these times of economic uncertainty. That is one line for $25, taxes and fees included. So whatever you're doing at this moment, please stop. Switch immediately. Now, monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Wir gerne sehen in was ist los. It's dein Freundo Seth. I'm learning German. Yeah, in case you didn't know what that was. That is me trying to impress you with the little German that I know. Right now, I am actually learning German. I took it in high school. I goofed off the entire time. I did some other language learning apps. They taught me things like where the taxi stand is and how to find a bus, um, but not a lot of conversational uh German. Thankfully, that's what Babbel is all about. Babbel teaches you language conversationally, which let's face it, that is what you want to know anyway. I don't know. When I was in school, you learned like how to count. You learned like the colors. You learned the shapes. Those are all important things, but they don't help you when you're in uh, like Cologne, Germany with Ein Nierenstein, which by the way is German for kidney stone, uh, an experience I can unfortunately speak personally to. But I've been using Babbel to learn to speak German again, uh, better than I have before. I actually really like it because it is conversational. It's a little bit more relaxed. One of the things that it does that I really like is it'll sometimes show you what the literal English translation is. And I don't know why, but I find that very helpful in sort of understanding the structure, the grammar of a language and sort of putting myself into that mind space. Since I'm only in Germany for Gamescom, which is like a week, week and a half, I'm not immersed in the German language. I'm not immersed in German culture. So what I do is the second best thing. I'm taking Babbel. Hopefully this year when I go to Germany, I'll be able to impress all the Germans with how much German I know from learning through Babbel. The app has pronunciation recognition, so you'll be able to learn how to speak better with your accent, how to actually properly pronounce the words. That way you won't get made fun of by a, a group of older German men because you said Apfelstrudel and not Apfelstrudel. Um, no, it's really cool. Uh, I'm going to say right now there is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners because you guys are the best ones, by the way, at babbel.com slash realm. Get 60% off at babbel.com slash realm. That is spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash realm. Rules and restrictions may apply. Nintendo! IGN's offices in San Francisco. Welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat for the week of November 7th, 2014. I am your host, Jose Otero, and this is IGN's all-Nintendo podcast. Joining me once again is Per Schneider. What's up, Jose? And very special guest, Chris Kohler. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks yes, for calling Wired. me very special. <laughs> everyone everyone reacts that way when I say very special. Do I come <laughs> well, across as condescending? It sounds it feels, like... It feels like you're saying I rode the short bus here. Yeah, it's no, like there's this okay. little undertone. I swear it's never meant you're, to be that. You're I'm genuinely excited. I'm excited right? when we have people okay. here. So <laughs> I don't know. I apologize if it comes across that way. <laughs> Extremely right. special. Yeah, there we go. Extremely special. See, that's worse. You got a little, uh, got a little special guest yeah. on, the, on the desk here. Oh, yeah. Incredibly special guest. Yes. Amiibo Mario. joins us Amiibo as well. Amiibo Mario. And we'll have nothing to say because it's still in the plastic. 
No. But, what, uh, do you take him out? He talks? Maybe. No, I don't, I don't know that. But uh, this week was a big week in Nintendo news. And, uh, Chris, thank you very much for coming in to not sure. only discuss that, but also some other stuff, that, some other surprises that you brought in as well. Um, so we had Nintendo Direct this week. Totally which, uneventful. Are you kidding? No, the I'm opening, kidding. Was, the kidding. opening was the Come best on. part. Majora's I'm Mask for Nintendo kidding. 3DS. Finally. You knew that was happening. Did you know it was going to happen in uh, November? <laughs> though? Did no, you know? I didn't know it was going to happen that day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. expect it uh, for this Direct. I expected it to happen mm-hmm. eventually. It's just such a no-brainer idea, right? To do what you did with Ocarina of Time. With the game, with the game, the sequel that shares the assets of Ocarina of Time. Of course, you know? absolutely. So, right, yeah. yeah. I mean, the engine is already going to run it. I mean, I think that there were a lot of people who probably missed out on Majora's Mask back in the day, even yeah. though it's been released, you know, re-released a couple of times. Right. Um, I can see a lot of people taking this as their jumping in point. Now, Nintendo did actually say that they're going to make changes to yes. it, right, to yeah. aid in the gameplay, which I yeah. think makes a lot of sense. Majora's mm-hmm. His mask was very much like a send me running to a strategy guide kind of game for some of the things that you had to do. I will. I, I would say out of all the Zelda games, you know, ignoring CDI, um, <laughs> it, it it was roughest around the edges, right? Sure. It had some of the most like the best ideas. Like it really busted out of the regular format with that three day cycle, but it also mm. really heavily relied on you figuring out some things that you couldn't really figure out easily. Like there was a song to slow down time, which right. completely like took away like you 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 just didn't have this like impossible mission like oh my god time is running out you could actually start to do stuff mm-hmm. but if you didn't know about that song you would just wouldn't find it until but the I would end. say the first hour of that game is amazing like I have you, I have not finished so? that game I do think so because I think that it starts off because I didn't expect, like the beginning okay so I'm gonna tell you why I think it is amazing I think it's because I feel like it pulls the rug out from under you in a way that surprised me like it starts out very much hey this everything you saw from Ocarina of Time here we are again mm-hmm. But it's a little darker for a few seconds. Then yeah, you walk yeah, yeah. through a cave. Mm-hmm. You are transformed into that hideous Deku shrub. The world <laughs> is dark. You meet a mass salesman who almost comes across like he has multiple personalities. <laughs> like the entire world feels weird and off and so different. And it felt like for the for just a few seconds, you knew what you were getting. And then after that point, you have no idea what you're getting in a lot of ways. Yeah. Right. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. Really so that's putting one of the that delineation that. between the traditional Zelda experience and this very weird, very dark very grim you know of like i mean there's so many scenes in this game of like people you know sometimes winning uh, uh winning in in uh, in uh, majora's mask up up until the very 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 end of the game winning is not winning winning right. is like helping someone come to grips with their inevitable death <laughs> yeah. like that's what it is you know it's like these some of these scenes where like you know oh i got this item and the person who gave it to me gave it to me because they're like i accept that i'm going to die and i'm yeah. going to die happy it's like Whoosh. yeah that, that game has a really weird tone tone i didn't like the beginning because i feel you know I, I think the beginning is effective, but I didn't like being the Deku Shrub, right? Like, you're so limited in what you do. Um, the way, it, it, you know, he moves is, is really kind of touchy and weird. And, like, and it locks you into this thing. And maybe because I played the Japanese version first where I was like, I have oh. no idea what to do, right? Like Japanese. I, I, but, I, yeah. but I felt stuck. And, like, because the game was so different, I was like, when is this going to end? I felt the same way with the Twilight Princess Wolf where I'm like, I don't think I like being the wolf. I want to be Link. And so the payoff, though, then... Was when okay. you get out of that form, yeah. that no, is, is really that's big. That's fair criticism. I just I still feel like I don't enjoy just having the rug pulled out from under me and being in this uncomfortable position but, where I wanted to turn back into who I was. And, and I thought that was something that was very special about it because I had not encountered that, I feel like, in a Zelda before. And, yeah, and, the, and to Chris's points, that dark world, you know? They used the shrub definitely as a punishment, right? Like, they wanted to make you feel uncomfortable because, like, later in the game, will you ever willingly switch back to the Deku shrub? No, right? You use the Goron to roll around. You use the Zor- to swim and they're all badass Yo, in their own yeah, way yeah, yeah. but like the Deku Shrub I'm like I guess I'm gonna hop over this pond when right? they, when they yeah. force you to gonna you shoot some bubbles yeah. but uh, yeah. no I, I do really appreciate that game it had an eerie kind of Alice in Wonderland feel to it you know the way he falls uh, down the, the well mm-hmm. I mean almost literally right mm-hmm. and like the little clocks flying just like reminding me of, of the rabbit in, in Alice in Wonderland it was it's a really cool game and um, I do think it was not as many people played this one as almost every other game in the series, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, then let's keep moving on in terms of Nintendo 3DS announcements, which they sort of did because then it went over to Codename Steam, an mm-hmm. update on that game, which was unveiled at E3, yep. was something that uh, one of my takeaways from E3, I felt like that game suffered from its presentation because it was sort of, 
it was a 45-minute presentation on what the game is. And for RTS, I feel like that's really hard to expect people to kind of get excited about. Yeah. Whereas actually playing it would convey the reasons why you should really care and, and be excited about it. Um, what did you guys think of just their announcement in general or of Codename Steam? Do you think that sort of this presentation and showing this trailer and giving it a bit more context helped? Or, I mean, I finally got to play it, so I could also talk about it a little bit. Okay. Oh, okay. What do you guys think? I think that'd be helpful. I mean, to me, it's like... I. It, it's too much information for a game like that in it advance. Is. Like I love, I'm a huge fan of the Fire Emblem and Advance Wars, and you know all the intelligent system franchises. And um, like it, it's just like I can't read that much preview coverage or take in that much preview stuff about those games because I get what they're all about. Well, yeah. this game is a little different, but. Um, I still don't get yeah, it. Yeah, I'm more curious to hear, <laughs> now that you've played it, what yeah, your exactly. take on it is. Because I'm kind of still wondering, well, how does it feel? Exactly. Okay. Um, so and I'm inherently worried about the third, third, uh, like the 3D perspective and all of that. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it is. The, the perspective is actually one of uh, absolutely its most unique quality, right? You're playing an RTS game, but you're also playing it from a third-person shooter idea. It almost reminds me a little bit of how... Uh, the first Mass Effect was trying to blend a third-person shooter with sort of RPG and, and very, like, dice rolls happening in the background. Yeah. And that wasn't successful the first time around, and they changed it with the sequels that happened. And then Battalion Co- Wars tried to kind of blend the I didn't play RTS that. and action together. Was that Intelligent together. Systems? Or no, the, no, or no. That was, was another developer, no, though. That was, okay. It was kind of an add-on to the Advanced Wars universe, but more in an action so setting. So I, I think there are really cool qualities to that perspective because, um, yes, there is cool. a lot to understand, right? Because there's these steam units, and every time you move across a square steam unit is consumed but if you backtrack the way you came as long as you didn't pick up a health power up none of those moves lock in so that's your way to peek around a corner and quietly do sort of recon where are the enemies right now how am i supposed to fight them and so in that respect i kind of like some of that because the minute you screw up and you make too much noise the enemy sees you even if you retrace your steps he now know he now knows where you are and he's going to come so for it's you. more like XCOM in yeah. that way mm-hmm. yeah and it, but it is also a blend of that uh certain enemies have specific weaknesses like there was this one alien um, um, that he had sort of, a, the, the, I mean, it's an obvious thing in video games, the glowing weak spot, the tail. Sure. <laughs> uh, but you have to line up the shot carefully and shoot it there. And if you do, you get a bonus on damage. And that way you will take him out quicker because if he moves up to attack you, he explodes also. So he hmm. takes off not only the hit, but an additional amount of damage. So I feel like there are really cool ways they're playing with the perspective. And I enjoyed the time I played hands-on with it. I was like, okay, I finally sort of feel like I'm starting to understand this thing you're building where, you know, Overwatch is is something we've seen in XCOM before, but you know we're seeing it in this game as well. And it's sort of like just using that to kind of cover your bases. Oh man, this is an open corner. Let me put someone in Overwatch to be able to fire at an enemy if he comes around that corner. Mm-hmm. It's stuff we've seen before, but I feel like the presentation gives it a little bit more of an edgy feeling while I'm playing yeah. instead of the fog of war that I've seen mm-hmm. before. My question would be, uh, so are you a Fire Emblem Advance Wars guy? I'm a Fire Emblem guy. Advance Wars a little less so. Okay. I'm, sure. I'm, I'm very curious oh, as to... I just to, got judged. It seems like Nintendo's stated goal here is to get out of that that core group of people who just play every Fire Emblem, play all the mm-hmm. Advance Wars, and, and broaden the, the RTS you know genre, the intelligent systems you know mechanics, out to a wider group of people. I wonder if that is something that Nintendo can accomplish. I wonder if this is not just simply going to hit the, the, the same core group of people who play these specific games already and then not get out beyond that. Yeah, which which they, I think they really successfully did with Fire Emblem on 3DS. They they were able to capture, you know, close to 100% of that group with that mm-hmm. game. With so Awakening. They, you know, so maybe they, with Awakening, so maybe they yeah. can do that again, you know, and make this successful, profitable, just off the back of the people who are already bought in. So let me ask you this, though. What do you think about Awakening made it so that 100% of those people sort of showed up? Because well, I feel like there have been Fire Emblems before. What was it about Awakening that really captured people? Well, first of all, it was really good. I mean, okay, it was so they, good that even somebody who said, ah, I never tried this franchise, let me try it, would walk away after like three hours going, this is freaking awesome. And and then, the, you know, just the RPG elements, I think this game came also at a time where I think people were paying more attention to Japanese-style, more 2D-looking RPGs. But that very factor also holds it back from achieving more mainstream recognition, right? Like the moment you turn over the box and it looks like a flat playboard and 2D yeah. sprites, then some people say, I'm out. And so maybe this is what this is trying to mm-hmm. do. Yeah. By the way, the, uh, intelligence like, like, Coming systems, off the back of X 
XCOM's, you know, more mainstream success also mm-hmm. might have been a big help. Sure, I yeah. mean, 2K, you know, you know, it's it's kind of a big deal for somebody to pour in that many resources into a RTS game that's, you know, a console kind of, you know, big budget experience these days. Mm-hmm. So but I do worry that its look is very niche, right? It is very like Silver Code Age name Steams is. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even its name is very like just sort of what is this? Mm-hmm. Like you don't really is understand. Is that really the final name now? It is. Yeah. Code yeah. name it Steam. It sounds like it wasn't. It's not finished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Oh, all right. But, uh, you know, I has played with other concepts like that before. They had an RTS on the Game Boy Advance in Japan called Napoleon, where, you know, the units, it was more like Ogre Battle, the classic Ogre oh, Battle, okay. not tactics, where units would move on their own kind of on the map. And so they, they took kind of the Fire Emblem strategy elements and like the, you know, what forces are strong against what forces and then applied it to more of an RTS. It was okay. interesting, not great, though. All right. Never came out here. Uh, so it was an update I on st- it. I, I still think that Nintendo's announcement strategy of like teasing a huge new 3DS game and making people think that it was going to be like Metroid or something, you know, kind of backfired. Like I don't know if you can. <laughs> I don't know if they should. I, I don't know if that's the way to introduce the brand new franchise that's going to make people scratch their heads. Like a, a non-playable 45-minute presentation for something that's not like grokkable like that quickly, and it's, don't have yeah. people go in thinking that you're going to show them something high concept like, hey, Metroid's back. You know. Yeah. yeah. No. And that, and that was the bummer. At E3, it was hey a forty-five minute presentation. If this was followed by hands-on, you would have done your like this would have felt a lot better. I could have actually had more to say about this. You would have sent people away with with a little bit more of a concrete idea. Yeah. Of, oh hey, you know this isn't what we expected, but it's really cool. Instead, it was this isn't what we expected, and I have no idea what's going on. But it is really good to see them branching into new IP. Oh because sure. It's something we've been talking about forever, right? Where are the new IPs? When is Nintendo going to branch into new IPs? And they seem to really believe in this thing, even I, though mm-hmm. it took them a while to really land on this. Yeah, and I think the lesson definitely with a game like this is less is more, yeah. right? Like you tease something, people go, what the heck is that, right? And, uh, you know, I can see how a developer makes that makes that mistake. They're really familiar with the system. They really believe in the game and they want to share as much as possible when in fact, you know, the audience cares most when it's a sequel and they want to see what's different, what's the same, or when something like is sells, sells you on like visual impact or something, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like think about it like a game like Scribblenauts, right? It, when it was introduced, you just got this this short snippet, like, oh, you can type anything and it'll appear. That's freaking awesome. And then everybody got got, got excited. If it had been a 45-minute demo, right. you would have gone, well, everybody's typed everything already, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so you're not that excited. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we got updates on Ultimate NES Remix, which is and how... Importantly, oh, speaking say. of new IP, Nintendo did put out a press release stating that Captain Toad Treasure Tracker is new IP. So... Yeah. I guess if you split every hair in the world, <laughs> it counts as new IP. Uh, that's fair. That's it fair is. criticism. I yeah. mean, it, it's it's Mushroom Kingdom Mario expansion, right? But it, yeah. it, they're trying to make... But he can't jump. They're trying to take more characters and give them their own legs. Right. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, so Miyamoto said legs. that, actually, in Nintendo's... Nintendo just had its meeting, right, with, the, the, with investors in Japan following the financial briefings. And one of the things that Miyamoto said to investors is look for more spin-off games. Mm. Look for us taking, you know, minor characters from things that work and giving them their own games or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, games that are produced more cheaply um, that uh, are sort of, you know, tangentially connected to mm-hmm. games that we've done in the past. So, you know, taking the Captain Toad levels out of Mario 3D World and making them their own game, mm-hmm. we may see that more in the future from Nintendo as they as they try to get development costs down. Mm-hmm. Dynasty Warriors 2 Hyrule, you know, is, is also a good example of that. Sure. Where, yeah. You know, yeah. you now actually yeah. get to play as more characters. Some, like, minor, tiny little characters from the Zelda franchise right yep. were playable in it so yeah. that's it that's you know that that is that is such a great uh argument for like nintendo letting other developers or younger developers like giving the teenagers the keys to the car and just yeah. like letting them go crazy a little bit because mm-hmm. like we don't see that from the 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 you know the major sort of legacy zelda games that nintendo makes this idea of oh you know who i love agatha the girl yeah, who yeah, exactly so let's make her a playable character yeah, that was a little game. strange like that's what you get <laughs> when you have people who just like have this they, they have the separation and the fandom making stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, fans making games for it, fans. It's something I'd like them to do more It's of. the Boba Fett effect, right? Yeah. Like, Lucas <sighs> did not know Boba Fett was that cool. That's right. He had no idea. Yep. And it's like the fans gave life to that character. Lucas then made the mistake of making making Boba Fett too much like of a... central... Oh, like, you remove yeah. the mystery Chango of the character, Fett. right? Yeah. No, that's exactly yeah, it. You exactly. didn't need to see his dad. Mm-hmm. No, they even tried to make him a... Yeah. a so we don't want to see Agatha's dad. Yeah, they tried to make him the star of some video games, mm-hmm. too. All right, so Ultimate NES Remix update. Not much to really say there. Uh, Persona Q edition, Nintendo 3DS XL. We knew that was coming. Uh, let's switch over to... Majora's Mask Special <laughs> Edition in Europe only. 
Oh, of course. Well, man. It's too late to be salty about Come that. On. We're already done with Majora's right, Mask. Fine. But no, it's fair. Yeah, <laughs> what's up with that? Yeah. All right. Uh, Mario, so Amiibo. Amiibo was a big part of this presentation. Finally yep. explaining and opening up the veil and finally telling people, okay, this is not just for Smash. We knew that. But what else does it do? Mm-hmm. So Mario Kart, we're getting some costumes. Cool, not cool. What do you guys think so far? I think it's great. I mean, to me... Captain Falcon's in there. To me, like, it feels like... Amiibo was designed with Smash Brothers in 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 oh, you yeah. know in mind and like now you're getting all these little bonus things which I think that's great mm-hmm. you know like it, this makes you go back to Mario Kart to unlock stuff in it and like some of the costumes are stupid but some are awesome mm-hmm. you know like Captain Falcon right yeah. well I mean yeah. that that's the primary argument that we uh, have seen from Nintendo um, over the past couple of days is how are we going to get people to go back to the Wii U software that they already own mm-hmm. um, that is this is as Nintendo is still trying to reduce costs while still making more money while still selling more games and, and consoles you know they're really looking towards maximizing the life cycles of the products that are out there so this makes total sense it's like oh if I pop Mario Kart back in. I can I can take this amiibo that I have and I can get a new costume. Great. Let me go find my Mario Kart disc or you know or boot it up in the Wii U and do that. Oh look, there's a DLC package. I can give Nintendo eight dollars and get some more tracks. Great. I'll I'll do that. And so this you know it's this multi pronged approach that we're seeing yeah. with the DLC for Mario Kart plus amiibos being able to be used. Just just trying to get people to think about like oh maybe I'll maybe I should keep playing Mario Kart when this has been a trend for years now right with at least in the post DLC era where publishers don't want you trading that game mm-hmm. don't want you getting rid of that game yeah. and keeping that game around which yeah. is I'm, I'm actually surprised the the and I just looked at the package for the Mario Amiibo that we have here on the desk if you're not watching this mm-hmm. but you know I was I was surprised to not find mention of Mario Kart explicitly on this box right I figured that was part of the strategies for people to go oh I haven't picked up Mario Kart yet but I yeah, now weird, own right? five Amiibos you know, strange. Like, yeah. Mm, yeah. Not sure. In fact, I mean, it's got a. Not only does it not mention the fact that it works with all these other games, it actually has a Super Smash Brothers logo and only a Super Smash Brothers mm-hmm. logo very prominently on the box. Yeah. So, in fact, the marketing there is, uh, you know, from from my perspective, kind of screwed up because it's not saying that it's this uh, it's this universal sort of versatile uh, thing. It's, yeah. it's uh, specifically for one game. It now, might be, be that fair, the end though. caps in the stores will highlight that more. That could be. You yeah. Know, yeah. Like, kiosks and displays. Kiosk displays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's you know really specifically they're doing that on purpose because Super Smash Brothers is the game, right? Yeah. I mean, it's well, always Mario Kart the biggest is selling the game. game. too, though, right? Like, that's um, a yeah, bigger but it's franchise. just a bonus. It's just yeah. a dongle unlock, right? So I just want to call attention to one thing while you guys are talking about the packaging. The only yes. thing that hints at what else this thing does is that there is an Amiibo icon, which uh, I don't see it on the front. Or uh-huh. I guess you can consider it that. Look for this icon on Amiibo compatible games. So the weird thing is that's that icon is not on the packaging of Mario Kart right now. Mm-hmm. So how are people supposed to know that to some right. extent? They'll right? reissue it, I'm sure, or they they will, they, they yeah. will send stickers to Toys R Us. Yeah, new <laughs> copies will have. Yeah, I, I bet you they will have some pretty, you know, like Skylander style or Disney Infinity style um, displays in stores. Like if you go to Target, you find this giant Disney Infinity sure. setup, right? That it's, explains yeah. all the stuff. More and, difficult for Nintendo though, because those store displays are you know primo uh, real estate, right? Yep. And it's very difficult to convince retailers to give over so much. Um, with Skylanders Disney Infinity, they can go and they can say this is for Xbox, this yeah. is for PS4, this is for PS3, this is for 3DS. These figures are selling to, you know, X million of your customers. Uh, oh, and also they're, they work with mobile and they work with tablets, right? With this, it's like this works with the Wii U. And yeah. how many Wii U's do you sell at Target? Probably not that many right now. Sure, so, I mean, yeah. it's much more difficult for Nintendo to convince them to get these on store shelves. Yep. I, You know, so we'll, we shall see. Uh, I, uh, the nice part about this, though, is that you cannot download an Amiibo. You cannot... This is, this is something that is purely for brick-and-mortar retailers, which are getting more and more cut out, you know, of, of video game sales as Nintendo and everybody else moves more digital. So this yeah. is like... Hey, this is just for you. This this people must come to your store because they can they cannot download this. Yeah, so is that why you can't buy these on Nintendo.com? Like, why isn't that a, a possible strategy for this? Like, well, I'm just I don't, surprised. I don't think they run their own store, they, right? Yeah. Well, they have a digital they, store yeah. now. Yeah, digital, yeah. but not yeah. for physical products. So they don't do so fulfillment, right? Nintendo does have a certain online retailing presence, and what they do yeah. is they sell accessories. If your accessories yeah, break, right. uh, if you want to get the high capacity battery for your Wii U gamepad you can get that if you need extra manuals if you lost your manual you can get that wasn't Xenoblade available on Nintendo's website it it was so that was a very special thing where it was like you know it was a limited release if you can't get to a GameStop we'll have this and you can actually buy refurbished um, hardware 
That's right. You can buy refurbished Wii U's and 3DS's and 2DS's, um, but though that's only when they happen to have them in stock. But they're not. Yeah, they don't. They don't direct people there. Like yeah. it's very much a customer service thing. Okay, yeah. so, so uh, they don't. They would not be equipped mm-hmm. to deal with this kind of fulfillment yeah. and returns volume and yeah. all that. Yeah. And so, uh, and so on this note, I am really wondering. I think the 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 worst thing that Nintendo could do for themselves. Now it's one of those nice problem to have kind of a things, but the the worst thing that they could do for themselves is misread demand for the amiibo figures mm. because this this kind of happened with when they launched uh skyland when activision lost uh skylanders um they kind of looked at this and they figured okay kids are going to they're going to buy their favorite skylander and then maybe they're going to buy another one and then maybe they'll get another one and they'll just have a couple what actually happened was everybody wanted to buy every skylander right everybody wanted a complete collection so the first holiday season skylanders the shelves were just empty immediately because they just everybody all all across the board just misread what the demand was going to be for buying multiples and so i look at this and i look at like we fit trainer you mm-hmm. know nintendo is a conservative company this is this is a super expensive proposition the manufacturing of all these little toys they probably don't want to have a situation on their hands where they just make so many of them blow a bunch of money ruin their profits you know they might underproduce these and it might people might want to buy every single amiibo for for smash brothers and mm-hmm. they may find themselves you know you might go into the store on november 21st somebody's already been in there early in the morning bought all the amiibos yeah. they're gone and there's there's no restock date yeah. like they might have a situation where they just they tamagotchi they disappear immediately and then it's and impossible then it, and it then happened it's an eBay with, product that's at an upsell of three yeah four, and it five, happened yeah. with Skylanders too yeah. right like certain yeah. Skylanders were impossible to uh, to find yep. know, as, a, as a father of two boys I can tell you that mm-hmm. oh wait um, you have Skylanders at your yeah, house we've we never talked about this I didn't, before I didn't buy the last one like I bought the the swap whatever they called the ones where you can take swap them force. apart and swap force. What yeah. was the new one? The new uh, one trap, was trap team. Yeah, trap I didn't. Team. I didn't get that one because it just gets crazy, man. Okay. Okay. Um, but and I didn't. I didn't buy Disney Infinity either. Uh, but I'm definitely getting all the amiibos because they're huge. You know, Smash and Nintendo fiends. So so Papa um, Stash, Kit Stash. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, actually, I mean, I do, did pre-order certain figures twice because I know they're gonna want to train their own amiibos. And, right. Yeah. You know. And then you got to have one for your shelf. Yeah. yeah. And then they start chewing on them. Uh, of course. Okay. So like, as kids <laughs> tend to do. Um, yeah. So on the topic of these figures, then, yeah. w- really quickly, we should also talk about then their quality and mm. sort of mm-hmm. the uh, – it's been somewhat of an issue online versus what oh, was yeah. shown at E3. I remember a tweet from you mm-hmm. uh, at E3 where the second you saw them, you had said, uh, these are super high quality, which means they're either going to cost a premium or mm-hmm. this is not the fi- This is definitely not the final figure, which they said on the display, these are prototypes. Oh, sure. They said these are I prototypes. Remember. They're not final. But, I mean, everybody says that about everything. But yeah. the, the, the problem is looking at that, it was like people, people are looking at that thinking, oh, okay. There might be some tweaks here and there between this and the version that's available at retail. But broadly, what they are showing me is what they are planning on selling. You expected the plastic to be the same level and like the pose – not the poses but the actual kind of materials. And I mean what we did get – some of them look really cool, right? But it is definitely going from Lego to Mega Bloks. Like there is a – there's a degradation in the material. Some of them – it's so we're we're looking at Mario right now, right? Mm -hmm. Mario is a stocky – you know, uh, rounded character. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a whole lot of fine details. Yeah. He came through this process with flying colors. Looks great. So there's Kirby no too. issue there. Kirby also. Yeah. He is a round ball. Yeah. Um, Link, now, there were some Kirbys. Yeah. I don't know if it was what you guys posted online, but there were some Kirbys where you looked at it and his face was just off. You know, mm-hmm. like the eyeballs were off-centered off of the mm-hmm. mouth, off of the face, right? It's the figures like... I mean, Princess Peach took the biggest kind of gut punch because, I mean, she was, like, super finely detailed Mm -hmm. and now looks more like a cake topper. You know what I mean? It it looks a lot worse. Um, Well, the moment there is minor detail in faces, right? Like, thin lines, any little deviation will make the character look like something you don't know. Yeah, and importantly, we understand this. Like, you know, I get it. You know, people kind of came out of the woodwork to say, well, that's just what happens with action figures it's like yes i understand that but i feel like nintendo should have understood that too and not it's like why did they pick the designs that they picked and some some of the figures the designs that they picked 
they they don't even work as action figures in, unless they put in a huge ridiculous plastic stand like Captain them Falcon's up. Like leg Captain right now. Falcon, which has a pole going up into his butthole. Yeah, um, or thigh. Because he depends could, on or, how close. <laughs> right, yeah, it's, it's close. Um, why did they have him kicking his leg like that? The reason why is because they just simply took the trophies out of Smash Brothers and they're like, here's our final designs. Yeah. And that is, it is such an anti-Nintendo approach to things. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the company that, you know, way back in the day when they would be designing games, they would design, you know, Miyamoto would talk about this. We designed the sprite first. We don't do concept art of what the character is going to look like. The first thing we do is we design the sprite, how he looks like on screen, get mm-hmm. that looking good. Then we take yeah. that and we blow that up into illustration. So when people go, oh, <clears throat> why did Nintendo games look so lifelike and cartoony? Yeah. It's because they didn't try to make cartoons out of cartoons that they had drawn. They they did sprites and then, then gave you the reference period. With this, mm-hmm. they took the Super Smash Brothers look of the character and we're like, that's an action figure. But that's not how Skylanders does it. No. They make the figures look like good figures and then they build the, the in-game uh-huh. model. W- right, so and they, they, had, way, they say... had way more freedom, right? Yeah. Obviously, Skylanders well, were designed that's... as toys. Probably, like, they were working on the figures and then the characters, right? Right, like, I right, mean, right. Except for but Spyro. But they could have done, I mean, if you look at, like, Disney yeah. Infinity, those characters were already, you know, Tinkerbell, Stitch, whatever. Yeah. But they redesigned them. They gave they them, them a different. universal design. Unified they look? made them a little bit more blocky. They made sure the poses work well as figures. Mm-hmm. You look at Disney Infinity, are any of those being held up by P-Yellow standpipe? No, they're uh, not. Poor Link. Um, I will say, um, it just surprises me too that they went with the Smash ports. It's I- identical. Like I feel like these are. This is most of these characters are almost thirty plus year old IP. Like people know what Mario looks like. People know what Captain Falcon looks like. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't there be d- some variation in the poses? Now I agree with something you said earlier. Some of them look great. Mario came yep. through with flying colors. Chris, yep, you're absolutely, absolutely right. Yep. Yeah. And uh, there are certain ones that, yeah, absolutely, they look great. But when I look at poor Captain Falcon, I do. I can't help and but Luigi feel like too. Luigi. Also, what is that coming out of his the center oh, of his yeah, belly? Because they the, the Luigi fall the planking yeah, Luigi, right? Yeah. And it's like they had to have a whole thing holding him up. It's like, why did you even... Yeah. And, and, and their actually, argument... Well, their I, argument is we tested these and we wanted these to be good for kids, but it was like, well... Why? No, no, no. Yeah, their their argument was that they're like, well, we wanted these te- like to be able to stand up to kid abuse. No, 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 no. They're arguing the wrong thing. The question is not why do you have to have a stand for this pose. The question mm. is why do you have this pose exactly. in the first place the, yeah. that requires the stand. That's yeah. a core it's issue, true. and I, you know, I hope our our listeners and viewers don't think that we're we're down on the concept of amiibos. I think it's a no. really cool idea, and some of them look really good. But there's some confounding mistakes. If you if you take a look at Link, right? Link's my my favorite character, definitely out of the batch when it comes to Nintendo characters Mm -hmm. but you look at the amiibo and he's like he's in in a jumping pose he doesn't have to be because Link can kick ass with a sword in all sorts of ways he could be doing a spin attack or whatever right he's in a jumping pose he actually looks down so when you put him in front of you on a table you don't see his face even he looks down and then he has a stand holding him up so that he doesn't break off the pedestal Mm -hmm. that is for, for some confounding reason yellow like, yeah. Why is that one yellow? <laughs> like all the other ones are see-through. Link has a yellow Some streak. Are see-through. Not, not all. Some of them are, have a certain color. Oh, there's that a blue one really too. Good. Yeah, yeah. Like, but it's like um, I'm sorry, Fox has like purple, for example. But it looks it really odd. And so what I did when I when I saw a, that, a I went. Of mine, who's a toy designer, pointed out that it might be uh, they might be molding it at the same time mm. as the Mario Fireball. Oh, it might be the same material. That so, could but, be but it. But I'm not yeah. sure if that's really right. the reason. So, but yeah. we have an unboxed stars. But the thing is, here's what the Skylanders guys did: the stand is part of the figure right like whenever they have a creature on two legs or something you can see that they're sometimes standing with one foot up on a rock and that gives them a really dynamic pose Mm -hmm. whereas the everyone's standing on a series of amiibos was designed to stand on a smash coin and i think that's what happened they fell in love with the concept that these are this is the smash brothers edition they have to be on the smash coin then the toy guy said well then you can't have this pose and then they said no we have to have this pose this is what he does in the game and i think Uh, somewhere there it was too late to turn back so uh, the same the same uh reader of mine also had kind of pointed out like you know maybe it was it was easier to get prototypes of these figures done if they just took the smash brothers poses in the first place and like 3d printed them and are like here's our prototypes for our figures to convince the higher-ups like that this is something that they yeah. wanted to do because it's easier because it is easier to just take what you the assets that you already have and make the figures out of that then go and say okay we have to do these figures and we have to have 
we have to hire action figure designers. You know, we've we've got to do this the right way from the beginning to convince Nintendo that like, we got to put the the resources towards mm-hmm. this versus let's just use what we already have, which might be a good way to get into the business, but it doesn't. It just gives you this very again fundamentally anti or 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 unlike Nintendo, an un Nintendo final product, which is really sort of the most disappointing part. I- I think it's version one. I think you're going to see version two of some of these characters pretty soon after after the initial run. After the initial waves. You know, when you look at Samus, for example, Samus is in like the most boring pose you can come up with. I have no doubts they will have more of a fighting stance in the the future. Yeah. Like Mario looks great. And, you know, Kirby looks good. Pikachu looks fine. They're just a a couple ones that stand out. Captain Falcon, I feel like, is weird. Nintendo has said, again, in the the, the Q&A with investors, Miyamoto said that they're going to be working on uh, perhaps smaller, cheaper versions of Playing cards, even? And playing cards, even. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. All right. So, yeah. And now what's interesting is, again, from the perspective of I am a video game collector and I look at this initial run of Amiibos and I wonder Mm -hmm. to myself, like, are any of these going to become really desirable down the line if Nintendo phases them out? How – what kid is going to be like, mom, you got to get me the exercise lady. Yeah. I gotta have the exercise lady. <laughs> you know, they might they might phase out We Fit Trainer really fast. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Yeah. All right. I, I would um, I would suggest you buy up all the uh, P stand uh, links fast because I do think they're gonna get replaced next year. So uh, what won't be replaced next year is this podcast. But we need a break. <laughs> I needed a transition, and we are out. We will be back uh, after this. Jose Otero here, joined by Per Schneider and special guest Chris Kohler. And we are here to talk a little bit more about the Direct, but we're going to go through in broader topics, not examine every single thing that was shown. Uh, let's start with Q1, which right now for Nintendo is sort of a, for some folks, it's, it's, it's a pretty worrisome situation because they've only committed to certain titles. So, Chris, why don't you set the, set the stage for us So, here. at this point, even though, I mean, Nintendo, remember at E3, kind of announced like this whole slate of games for 2015 and then kind of followed up by saying, oh, you know, Mario Maker, that's first half 2015. Yoshi's Woolly World, that's first half 2015. Um, what they have announced so far in the Nintendo Direct for the first half of 2015 is just two games. Yeah. It's it's Kirby and the Rainbow Curse in February, and then it's Splatoon at some point in first half. Mm-hmm. First, when they and, and when Nintendo says first half, sometimes that's just the first step on the road to Christmas. You or know? Just, oh, yeah, with because you know I think Pikmin three for a while was oh it's it's spring oh it's first half, it's it's August. See, I I think to me Splatoon is a summer game, yeah. just like. Theme-wise, you know, it's the it's the crazy water goo gun stuff. I think that's going to be a shoe-in for July. Yeah, and um, it's untested, you know what I mean? We're not yeah. really sure how people are going to receive a multiplayer Nintendo shooter. Yeah, I don't think they're going to ride that to, to, to uh, November. I think right. there'll be something bigger. You, you know, you never know. Sometimes you never know. Sometimes they're forced to. Um, I think that, I mean, I you know, Kirby and the Rainbow Curse. Like, people, Nintendo seemed to, Nintendo really wants us to get excited for some reason about Yoshi's Woolly World. You know what I mean? Like, they really poured it on at mm-hmm. E3 with the huge Yoshi's Woolly World, you know, video presentation and all this kind of stuff. I look at that. And I look at Kirby's Rainbow Curse, and I'm so much more excited about Kirby. Not saying anything bad about Yoshi, but, like, Kirby Canvas Curse was... When that came out, that was the best Nintendo DS game. Like, that was one of the first early Nintendo DS games that was like, oh, my God, this is genius. Well, it really sold the system's capabilities, right? Oh, yeah, 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 totally. Finally, a game that you could only play with a touchscreen. Like, you could not replicate this with a controller. Mm -hmm. So, makes all the sense in the world to have this on the Wii U. Beautiful. The claymation graphics are stunning on Mm -hmm. this game. Like, I really had a great time playing the demo at E3. So, the fact that it's coming sooner rather than later, coming out in February, that's that's great. Can't wait to play it. Um, But... 
with third parties not really showing up uh, on the Wii U. Um, you know, it's like what Nintendo might really be looking at this serious kind of a drought situation in the beginning of 2015. And a drought that they know very well because they've gone through that for the past, what, two years on this platform, <laughs> right? Um, but I would say, um, I would argue that, yeah, they, they have announced a very slim lineup of, of games, right? Like you said, Kirby um, and uh, and Splatoon. Mm-hmm. And they announced a bunch of E3 that they all yeah. of a sudden are not talking about. Right, and that is not still... to say they don't come out. This is just to say that, you know, so far. they're not talking about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but I do think that there is still plenty of time for them to start saying something. They're very weird in that unless a game – I almost feel like unless a game is almost three months out, they're not really saying much mm-hmm. about that specific game. Mm-hmm. At least that mm-hmm. seems to be a trend with them, you know, for the most yeah, part. So I feel I think... like there's still a lot of time for them to announce something. And I think sometimes they're just not – sure either is this game going to get be ready do we need to push one should we hold a game yeah. push it back like they they've done that before too where they're like whoops here's a new game you've never heard of and it's coming out in two months right and like they've will, done and, that and yeah. that will happen i i'm sure that will happen especially with like downloadable games you know what i yeah, mean yeah. like remember that i mean didn't they and release nes too. remix the day they announced it right yeah, I mean, they've yeah, done yeah, that. so beyonce so, you know. they tried to beyonce it a little bit yeah with that, i mean yeah. and they love doing that and so i'm sure that there are things that they haven't talked about but as far as like the big tentpole disc-based yeah. releases like kirby and then uh, Splatoon. It really it may, it may well be the case that is their first half lineup, and they'll supplement that with DLC, as we've talked about for Mario Kart. For Smash, they haven't talked about Smash Brothers DLC yet. I Outside bet of you, YouTube. I bet yeah. you, there is a robust, exciting, many new characters, new stages, paid DLC plan that they're going to use to carry Smash Brothers for like. A year. Yeah, okay. or it could be that in March you'll see a whole bunch of new amiibos, including a Splatoon character that mm-hmm. unlocks the character at the same time when you buy the amiibo, right? Sure. Like there could be a strategy like that to revitalize Smash Brothers in March because March is like the second big shop shopping season now for games, right? Mm-hmm. Like major games have already been pushed out of 2014 yep. to March next year from, you know, on the third party front yeah. on other platforms. So I got to think they'll have a little bit more of a chess piece for that month. Yeah. And sometimes when you see Nintendo push stuff back in the beginning of the year, it's because other stuff has now been pushed back from the back end of the year. Yeah. They're not really talking about it yet. Like, well, we delayed this game. And what that means is this game is done, but this other game got delayed. So now we need something to fill this hole. And we're going to hear later that something else got bumped. I think I think if you think that Zelda is coming out in 2015, I have a bridge in New York to sell you. Uh, Let me know. I don't I, think I it's going to make it either. Give me your PayPal. Uh, I don't think I'm, it... not, I'm, willing, I'm not willing to commit either way yet, but really? I will say, yeah, because I, I'm still kind of optimistic on it, only because Nintendo is also in a position where when they announce something big and say it's for this a certain time period, they're in a position where they can't really miss those. You can, you couldn't, for example, when Smash, when they said holiday 2014, and everyone lost their shit about that on right. the internet, saying there's no way this game's coming out in holiday 2014, mm-hmm. it was like, okay, guys, the problem is, what is the replacement to that? Yeah. Well, Heaven and Earth has to get well, have to get that game so. out the door. Mm-hmm. Now, the Zelda team, or whatever part of the Zelda team, has been tinkering away on this game, potentially for a while. Mm-hmm. We're not talking a link between worlds a while. We're talking about uh, Skyward Sword a while, which was what 2011. So I almost feel like there's still a chance. Like I, I'm not ready to write it off yet. I don't I buy just, it. You don't I, buy I'm it. I'm with you Chris. Think I think, think it's, it's going to get delayed too. Why? And well, first I, of all, I do think like I I think you're more likely to see a Namco Star Fox next year. But that's not a big and a Luigi's Mansion, which you know m- magically appeared Mansion, as yeah. an arcade machine. huge like no, I know. Nintendo no. fall IP. Well, they no, bring it in the fall. Yeah. Zelda is not. I think we have. We're you know we're Nintendo fans from back in the day. I think we're looking at these major Zelda games as like this big tentpole release. I don't think that Zelda is as big of a draw uh, now as it has been in the past. I mean, it certainly isn't in Japan. I mean, Zelda games really don't do that well in Japan anymore. Um, They don't actually do so, so well as they have been here. Um, I think that they would rather delay Zelda and make it perfect versus rush it out for holiday. Now, as a general point... Absolutely agree. Nintendo, as of late with the 3DS and the Wii U, they felt that fire at their backs, and Mm. they have. They have definitely shifted towards... you know, setting a date and making that date and not delaying certain games. Like, you know, with, with things like Mario Kart on 3DS, um, they've, they, they were, they were like, this game must ship. We yeah. must get this game out for the holiday season or we are boned because we yeah. have nothing else. So, Same thing with Mario I think Kart that, 8. Yeah. so as a general point that you're making with yeah. Smash Brothers having to come out this year, yeah. 
Um, I, I I think that they are now kind of committing a little bit more to. But, but look what they did. They it. went to a third party. They you know they yeah. had to go to an outside developer. Oh, yeah. to get this game out in time. Who right? says like there's Smash no outside Brothers. developer on Zelda at this point? You I know just, there might be. I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. I feel you like there's this. There are these sacred franchises. Yeah. Zelda and How Mario is Smash are not a sacred franchise. No, but Smash is not that complicated. Up. Yes, like it, it is. No, the level of detail in Smash is no. out of this it's hard, world. It's hard to balance. It is not that complicated to follow the template at this point. Whereas a Zelda game, mm-hmm. each game is very different, very new. Well, and, that, yeah. and it feels a certain way yeah. that I think it's well, no, hard not just, to do. They're, again, they're not just, just just handing them the franchise and saying, go do whatever. Right. It's it's this new model of, I mean, I think this is very interesting. The Japanese gaming industry right now, right? You know, you have these Japanese game developers. They need contracts. Like, they need somebody to give them money to work on a video game because the economics of it are so terrible at this point. Nintendo, it seems, is kind of swooping in as the savior of these different Japanese video game developers saying, oh, okay, great, make Smash Brothers. Bandai Namco, like mm-hmm. what? What major, you know, huge first, you know, console like exclusive titles is Bandai Namco making right now? Not a whole heck of a lot because there's really there's no money in that. Good but point. it makes a lot of sense for Come Nintendo to say. We're going to put, rather than it. rather than have Nintendo staff up, you know what I mean? Rather than have Nintendo hire all these developers and then and then face the prospect of, oh, my God, do we have to, like, lay these people off? What are we going to do? Yeah. Nintendo goes to Bandai Namco and just says, okay, you, you have all these developers and programmers hanging around. We're going to supervise you like mm-hmm. crazy. You know, we're going to make sure this product is excellent. But you're going to do the, you're gonna do the heavy lifting on this, and we're just going to make sure you're delivering the right product. And I think that yeah. will happen. I, I do think, I mean, this, and this they're already Capcom making, yeah. partnership, the arcade thing mm-hmm. like it is a big deal man okay. I, and, and mm-hmm. on the topic of Zelda I will say that hearing that we're getting Majora's Mask uh, in spring of 2015 makes me wonder because this is the same situation we saw last year where we got a remade Zelda and a new Zelda except now they've swapped places well maybe Instead now you get a remade Zelda on Wii U and the new Zelda on 3DS. Now the remade Zelda is on 3DS. Are we still getting? I think it is reasonable to. I think to this question is magical thinking it. on your part. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, these things are not connected. Yeah. yeah, no, no, I don't know. I'm not trying to so much say they are connected, but I just find it interesting that once again they're trying to cr- they're trying to cram two Zeldas in the same year. If it's yeah. going according to plan, is mm-hmm. all I'm saying. It's just bizarre to me that that's how it's become. There was a time when we would rarely get a Zelda oh, yeah, Zelda's yeah. that quickly. He's not right. saying well, therefore then, they'll I, be a yeah. second one. Well, then yeah, there was a time I, I when we were getting too that. many Zelda games. You know there, what I mean? And, and the that quality could be a thing getting, too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, there there's nothing that says they can't remake another game for Wii U as well and release an HD collection of like Twilight Princess or something, yeah. right? You just never know with this company. I do think that I do think that the the whole like let's let's save the Japanese games development yeah. uh, uh-huh. uh, community thing is a real thing. And I do think Bandai, that was not a one-off. I think there's there's yeah. another Namco game coming. It's obviously Capcom. Right. And I think well, there's something at Sega, too. Remember, they're All making right. Star Fox. So, I mean, yeah. it's a question of what developer mm-hmm. they're going to find to fit. I mean, th- when they said with Star Fox, it's like they, they – that was they're really like, interesting, too. Miyamoto kind of opening up the kimono a little bit, you know, on the, on the process of how this works and saying, hey, um, you know – Right now, we have a prototype, and we're going to take this prototype to outside third-party development They're partners. Going to RFP. We're going to say, "Here, make the actual game." Now that we've done the prototyping yeah. work for us, and that's very interesting to have to have Miyamoto saying, giving us that glimpse behind the curtain of like, "This is how the the uh, the sausage gets made." Mm-hmm. I was uh, that was really interesting because uh, you you don't know what was going on. Whether were they were thinking, should we staff up a little bit at NST? Should we give this to Retro? Should mm-hmm. we give this to an NST external? NST still exists. Yeah. Yes, they do. I, just, I find it weird because yeah. NST does nothing of note. On their own, it feels anymore. Well, a lot ever. of pieces of, of games that form together to be great, right? That, that's there's definitely the the old studio system of having one developer be in charge of something is kind of gone, right? Like mm-hmm. Retro yeah. will design tracks in Mario Kart now, I and like that. there's definitely right. a little bit a, a much more crossover like that. But I do think like. After Smash Brothers, the the 3DS version is great. The Wii U version looks mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. I think I would have a lot of faith in Namco Bandai um, or Bandai Namco, what, whichever way around they are now, um, in them pulling something else off like that. All right. So let's uh, let's take a quick break. And then, Chris, uh, speaking of Japanese games and yes. awesome collectibles, you brought in some cool stuff. I so did. you're going to show them off. Uh, we'll be right back.
Jose Otero here with Pear Schneider Hello. and Chris Kohler. Chris, you've brought some <laughs> cool stuff to this podcast. I did well. I tried to. Yeah. yeah. So um, uh, I I you know love video game collecting. Uh, I love collecting old Nintendo stuff. So I just brought a few things that I thought would be interesting to talk about. Excellent. Yeah. So um, let's see. I mean, starting right here. So I brought my copy of Donkey Kong Junior Math. Um, I I like many people uh, really enjoyed collecting the black box games. That original line of NES games that Nintendo did that all had very similar graphic design. That's right. The toughest one to get the box for is Donkey Kong Jr. Math, which mm-hmm. is, in fact, which is, for you kids out there, it is a math learning game where <laughs> Donkey Kong teaches you arithmetic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and why is that? Why did the boxes just get eaten by kids? Because it was bought for oh, yeah. the youngest set? Yeah, yeah. basically, it was, it was for younger kids. Literally. They didn't make a whole lot of them. Nobody really wanted it. Um, <laughs> but the boxes, I mean, you know, a lot of people treated video game boxes as you know if you if you bought Disposable. a new microwave you'd throw away the box for the microwave right same thing with the boxes for NES games they just throw it right away um, maybe they'd keep around the instruction manual but then eventually they'd get rid of that too um, and it just so happens that it's just it's just really really hard to track down this box in particular and especially because these the bl- the way the black boxes work, you can see all the sort of the white lines and damage. If they ever took a little bit of damage, you know, the black ink would just it would it would come off and it would be so visible because of the the, the sort of the gray cardboard underneath it. Mm-hmm. So condition is really everything with a with a with an NES box, basically, especially with Donkey Kong Junior Math, because everybody wants really nice ones. Mm-hmm. There's so few really nice ones, and this one I would not even characterize as really nice. It's it's a hundred percent intact and has no big major damage, mm-hmm. which is you know I'm very happy with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that's an example of a game that was just available at retail in the U.S. and is just very, very hard to track down complete now. Um, I also have this gold copy of Punch-Out for the Famicom. Okay. Uh, so wow. let's see. So if you're listening to this podcast, yeah. it looks just like your your classic Zelda cartridge, but with a Punch-Out label. With Punch-Out. Yeah. And with Bald on, yeah. on the cover. Yeah. So, so this the, is very rare, um, I've heard about. Yeah. So yeah. The, the first release of Punch-Out was as a prize given out to Famicom players in Japan. If you did a really good job on uh, the uh, the golf game for the Famicom disc system, you could send Nintendo your scores. And uh, if you got a high score, um, a limited number of people would get this uh, gold copy of Punch-Out. Now, they already had Punch-Out in the arcade. Like, they already knew what Punch-Out was. But basically, this is a version of the game ends after Super Macho Man. It does not have Mike Tyson or Mr. Dream. Super Macho Man is the last boss. Um, And other than that, it's basically identical to what we got in the U.S. They just took this game, inserted Mike Tyson as the final, final, Mm. final boss. Okay. and then eventually they released this in Japan as Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, you know, at, at retail. But for me, as somebody who loves Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, you know, that is one of my classic, classic games of that era, I had to have this. Too. Okay. <laughs> and they great. point out on the back of the box for this uh, special edition Punch-Out that uh, the golf, I mean, is that what that says? Or yeah, Family Computer Golf U.S. course, um, okay. mm-hmm. golf tournament. Um, okay. And yeah, that was what you would get. Very That's really cool. cool. So they yeah. had leftover gold from the U- U.S. run of Zelda. I think yeah. so. Yeah, in Japan, I mean, there's I think no gold they, associated with Zelda. This did come out after the the gold Zelda cartridges that's in the right. U.S., so they probably looked at that and thought, oh, that's really cool. And actually, the, the neat thing is if you look at this cartridge, it does – it actually has that NES pattern of bars on it uh, that you'd see on the side of NES cartridges on the right-hand side there. Mm. So it actually is designed sort of like an NES cartridge, but it goes in the, in the Famicom. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah it, it really seems kind of a different shape. too, than any Famicom cartridge. Is it roughly oh, it taller is. It than every is Famicom cartridge use, I've held? I don't want to get this wrong – I think it's the MMC2 chip. Okay. They had to use a larger board um, to get those giant, giant boxer sprites in Punch-Out. So the, the board had to be larger than your typical Famicom cartridge to have the chip on it. Yeah, That's awesome, um, dude. Yeah, yeah I, I've always cool. found it weird that Zelda has never been associated with gold in Japan, that it's that's green. Right. It's it was, always green. It's always green. That's yeah. absolutely right. It's and really it's, strange. It's just the, the U.S. version with the gold cartridge that, that did that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
Here's something really kind of crazy. And what's interesting is you can you can you can find these pretty easily now. Um, this is a roulette game. You can hear the roulette balls rattling <laughs> around in there. Um, this was made by Nintendo in the 1960s, and this was for export. Like this is for you know the U.S. and Australia and wow. English-speaking countries. Um, this is actually a it's a board game. It's a plastic uh, you know toy roulette game. But the really interesting thing about this is that like this was released. Um, with the yeah the, the Nintendo uh, Nintendo game logo on it, it says wow. Nintendo the the you know the the roulette mat where you place your bets that That's says so Nintendo cool. all the chips have a little Nintendo logo on them. This was this was released you know before there was a Nintendo of America you know Nintendo in Japan the Nintendo playing card company was making these and selling them here. Yeah, it says yeah. Nintendo Company Japan right at the bottom yep. left hand side. I love it. it has a logo that just says NG. So there yeah. was no real Nintendo logo yet. And the, the G is lowercase. They're both lowercase but elongated. Uh, yeah, we didn't have the the classic Nintendo racetrack logo yeah. yet. They had other logos for yeah. sure. Yeah. That's so cool, man. I'm surprised that's not Love a Smash that. Brothers, but they put the color game <laughs> <laughs> TV. <Yeah. laughs> All right. Well, some stuff is, yeah, I do have, I mean, too, way too big to bring here, but like I have the Nintendo Ultra Hand, which is the first, that first toy that Gunpei Yokoi made was yeah. an extendable grabber yep. hand. It's in WarioWare um, all over. Yep, yeah, the yeah. Ultra Machine, which was the the batting, the indoor batting machine that they yeah. made. That was yeah. their second big People hit. People yeah. have seen that in Rusty's Real Deal Baseball. Right, yeah. right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so then finally here I have the first issue of Nintendo Power. Now, the interesting wow. thing about this particular copy is you see on the front it says free sample copy. Mm-hmm. So this was actually from the really first run of issues that they made that they sent out for free uh, to every everyone whose address they had. Any <sighs> Nintendo customer, if they knew your address, they sent you this to try to get you to subscribe to Nintendo Power. This is the first hit is free, and then everything else is going to cost you. <laughs> so is this your first copy, or did you I, have to get this later? I wish. No, we <laughs> we got into Nintendo. We got a Nintendo in 1988, so I had already missed um, okay. the launch of... Oh, no, you know what? I hadn't missed the launch of Nintendo Power, but I wasn't really aware that it was You weren't in the database. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we weren't in the database. I had and, that uh, issue. This you is so did? crazy. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yes, I had that very issue. I remember that free sample copy on the side. Oh, yeah. this is just, I, I had to, so I years. actually I do have a uh, there was you know we went to a garage sale I think when I was like 13 or something and somebody sold me all their Nintendo powers and that's how I got all my my like issues number 1 through like 12 um like because I I started subscribing um with the Super Mario Brothers 3 strategy guide. That was the first issue that I got in the mail of Nintendo Power. So I had to go back and, and reacquire the, the the earlier ones. But this I actually just got recently um, from Super Smash Games in Seattle. When I went to the Seattle Retro Gaming Expo, they were selling this. Um, and it cost me 50 bucks. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's probably about what it's worth. Maybe even a little bit more than that. But I did I never had the sample copy version. And you can really see cool. this one is a little bit beat up. I mean, again, if this was in pristine condition, didn't have all these kind of dings on the front cover, we'd be looking at something that's worth you know much more money. Um, magazine collecting is not really huge right now. It's pretty much me, uh, Frank Cifaldi from Other Ocean, who collects <laughs> yeah. magazines, notorious for it, yeah. and like we're it. So it's, oh, it's Steven great. doesn't participate in this. So. Uh, Steve Lynn does not collect magazines. Um, okay. I know he he has a lot of rare paper. Uh, if you yeah. went to um, so some of this stuff was on display, and actually Sam Claiborne and uh, Brian Altano did a little video about mm-hmm. it at the GDC, mm-hmm. uh, the the Nintendo Museum. So my gold punch out was there. The roulette was there, um, and uh, Steve had some really, really rare uh, paper that was there. It was um, the only known copy of this uh, flyer that Nintendo passed out for a knitting machine that would use the NES to automatically knit things for you. And he got that from Howard Phillips. He got the, or excuse me, he yeah, he got it from from Howard Phillips, the former game master at Nintendo. You know, uh-huh. Howard and Nestor, right? Yeah, and so I mean that was like. You know, it's it, we've never seen another one, basically. So That's Steve so cool. does own some extraordinarily rare pieces of paper that I do not. So uh, let me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, when did you start collecting? When when did this become a thing? When we got that NES yeah. in 1988. Uh-huh. Really? I Since mean, then? Yeah. Really? I mean, I've just, I've never sold anything. I mean, every now wow. and again, I know I traded in my copy of Kirby's Pinball Land at uh, Electronics Boutique to get a, to get a, uh, Earthbound. <laughs> so so that for, was a good trade. For the trade. younger audience members that is now called GameStop. Now called GameStop, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, I I just, I, there's a lot of stuff that I just saved. Now, all of this stuff here is sort of recent acquisitions. And it was around like 2010 when I kind of like, kind of got the, you know what it was? 
moment in every kind of collector's life where I always had tons of video game stuff. You know, I had my 64DD with all the games, but it was in my closet. And then I was kind of like, you know what? I think I'm going to display some of my games on a shelf in my house. As soon as you display things on a shelf, the mind switches over not from I own a bunch of video games and that's cool. You start seeing all the stuff you don't have. You start start to realize, you know, I have all the black boxes. I just don't have that Donkey Kong Jr. math. I got to go find one of those. And that is when it just became like if I see something and I don't have it, now my goal is to go get that thing versus – Oh, I go to a thrift store, I go to a garage sale, or go to a you know video game show, and if I see something, oh, maybe I'll buy this as a good deal, whatever. So, yeah, it's worse for me. I mean, I I, yeah. I love video games and tabletop games, and like I'll once in a while, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take out stuff and I get reminded of the things that I used to own, and then I go chasing them. Like yep. you know, one was the Dark Tower board game. I'm like, I just gotta get it. And that was then, Mike Micah's fault. Wasn't yeah, it? like <laughs> he was well, here. I already yeah. wanted it before. Now I'm thinking about like Milton Bradley made like Starbird and the Starbase and all that stuff I had as a kid. By the way, all my stuff burned in a warehouse fire oh, no. when I moved to Japan, which oh, is even no. worse, right? We've never talked so, about that before. I'm yeah, well, so it's, sorry. Uh, it's tough to talk about. Dude, that, that is no, that is. Tough. I had an LGB train tra- train set that would be like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now it's amazing. Each train was like yeah. this big. Anyway, I don't want to talk about you it. Don't, you know, <laughs> uh, well, you know, all my video up. games. He's got tears in his eyes. All my my Atari, be... Fairchild, Channel F, all that stuff burned. That might be a worse story. You know, Mark McDonald, right? From my yes. four. Yes, I've heard the story. He, oh yeah, well he, I mean, he was living here in the Bay Area, and uh, but he moved to Japan to go work at 8.4, um, and he just had everything that he had had from his <laughs> years of working in Electronic Gaming Monthly, um, and what I think happened was somehow uh, his credit card stopped working, or the, the storage facility that he had all the stuff in, <gasps> in the U.S., um, they weren't able to charge his credit card, they weren't able to get in touch with him, and it went, I mean, it was, <laughs> story, it was storage wars, yeah. it went, oh my it god, storage <laughs> auction, somebody who sells at a flea market, and the thing is, uh, I only heard about it um, after the fact from somebody who had found the woman selling all of his stuff at, at a flea market and had told me that that had happened and then we kind of put two and two together that it was I always wondered who forgets stuff. about the great stuff in their storage lockers you understand like you know obviously when somebody dies or you know there's an ugly oh, yeah, divorce yeah, yeah. or something or you just have garbage bags in there but once in a while on storage wars you see like this entire locker filled with like original Marvel comic books You're like who does that what, well, I had, <laughs> what I had heard about the show storage wars is that initially the first thing they wanted to do was they wanted to you know, have people, you know, watch people buy things at auction, and then they'd go and find the people who had owned that stuff and figure out what their story was. Like, why did you stop paying yeah. on this? And they didn't do it because it was too sad. It is. It would have so made sad. the show like there is nothing. Oh. There is never a happy story. No, of course why. not. So it's yeah. all just sort of pushing out. That might of your be a mind. separate, yeah. a separate show. Just finding the people who actually owned that uh, that but locker. That like, would what be happened? yeah. Right, right. Uh, just really quickly then, because we have to end uh, really soon. Yeah, but I wanted to ask you uh, for folks who are interested in collecting yeah uh, not to create more competition for you because you're <laughs> you're clearly I do I go to Penny Arcade Expo and I do Retro Game Roadshow which is like okay. a Geeks Roadshow for video games I nice. even did last Penny Arcade Expo I did another separate panel just about collecting tips so okay. I yeah, am ruining thi- I'm ruining things for myself okay. constantly it's okay okay so three tips for folks three tips for folks number one get all of the emotion out of buying if you're a buyer um, I want you to approach these things these transactions as clinically as you possibly can. Don't you have to say, super... I don't really need this You have to say, I don't really need... Well, no, you have to say, is this a good price? If you encounter yeah. that first issue of Nintendo Power that you've been looking for for so long, like, you you, you know, the dopamine and the endorphins start flowing, you're like, oh my god, I've just got to have this. But you have to really ask yourself, like, is this a good deal? And if not, you have to walk away. And, you you know, you, you, you have to do that for yourself. That's, you're going to spend way too much money if you get super emotional about it. Um... Knowledge is power. That's tip number two. Knowledge is power. If you 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 must like the, half the fun of this for me is learning everything I can about all of the items that I might potentially want to buy at some point. You might you never want to a you never want to go to a flea market and see something and go. Is that a good deal? I don't know if that's a good deal or not. And then you mm. walk away and you look it up on your phone and you're like, oh, man, I just passed up a $1,000 game for 5 bucks. Guess what? Yeah. You're going to go back and it's going to be gone. Yeah. Um, you you need to know as soon as you see something, is this a good deal or not? Don't do the research later. Do all the research first. Like that's the fun of this, like learning mm-hmm. about things. And then when you get in the situation where you're going to buy something, you know, then you then you, you make that snap decision. Um 
Number three, if if your techniques are not working for you, um, find better techniques. You know, I hear so many collectors like, I live here, and all all happens is resellers they get to the flea markets before I do, and they buy everything. Or you know, I, I, if I get to a garage sale that's advertising Craigslist with video games, somebody's already gotten there and they bought everything. I go to normally thrift stores. Chris Kohler. I go to thrift. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it could be, it could have, it might have been me. Um, you know, I go to thrift stores and never find anything. If you are just doing the same thing over and over again with no results, pick a better technique. This stuff is out there. There's still video games in people's attics. There's still video games that that end up at garage sales and things like that. Like you can find them, but if the technique isn't working for you, you have to find a better technique. With with flea markets, I mean, my whole thing is, I will wake up super early and be the first person there. Um, I I do not, you know. There's so many mornings when I'm like, maybe I'll just sleep in. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll just sleep in. I'm so tired. I was up all night playing Smash Brothers. I'll just I'll just sleep in. But then I'll drag myself out of bed at 6.30 on a Sunday morning um, and I will go to the flea market and I will get there as early as I possibly can get there and I'll snag something amazing. You know, I'll Mm -hmm. get some amazing deal on something and at that point, I'm super happy that I got myself up super early. You know, I'll I'll sacrifice a couple hours of sleep, but it's super competitive right now. So you've mm-hmm. really got to like, you know, and it's going to get worse. I mean, there will be yeah. now that we rediscover these items, mm-hmm. there'll be fewer and fewer over the years, and it's going to be tougher because Kohler oh, is never yeah. going to give up this stuff now. Right, <laughs> this is going to go to Little Kohler, right? right? Eventually, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. So I mean, yeah, I'm, it's either going to, I mean, like it's yeah, or go to a museum or you know, I'm, I'm holding on to this, I'm holding on to this for the time being. How about? that you know there might be a time in my life where i'm like yeah i've got to sell this stuff at some point but it's like you know for the time being i'm not collecting this because i'm speculating i'm collecting this because i love this stuff i hope my emotion for like copies of punch out and nintendo power first issues shows through like i want this i love it um but yeah i really uh it, it is getting more difficult so like approach approach it like you know uh, this it should be fun. It should always be fun, but but really like learn as much as you possibly can about everything, so that when you do have a situation where it's like, is this a good deal or not? You know, and you're ready to jump on it at that point. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Chris, for coming in. Thanks for having and me. thank yeah. you for listening to Nintendo Voice Chat. We are a weekly podcast on IGN, but we are not the only piece of content actually no. on IGN. There's plenty of other There's videos, more? features, previews, reviews. All kinds of stuff, even on movies, comics, you name it. So make sure you check out the site. Uh, it helps keep the lights on if you go over to IGN. Trust me. Uh, Chris, where can folks find your work? Yes. Uh, head over to Wired.com uh, and uh, click on Game Life or go to Wired.com slash category slash Game Life. And that's where all the game stuff is for the time being. Um, if you uh, want to check out um, other kind of collecting stuff that I've done, again, search for Retro Game Roadshow. Um, and uh, we, you know, we have a podcast. Everybody, you gotta have a podcast. You have gotta to have one. Wired's Wired's Game Life podcast. Myself and other Wired editors talking about you know a lot of similar things. It's also a lot another of other podcasts you're a part of, and you're wearing the shirt right here. <laughs> oh, okay. Talk about yeah, that. Sure. I'm wearing the shirt. Uh, Good job, Brain. It's a trivia podcast. Not um, not at all about video games. Every now and again, we sneak some video game stuff in there. But it's uh, it's my pub quiz team. It's uh, Karen Chu, awesome. formerly of uh, formerly of One Up and uh, formerly of other places now of Twitch uh, and uh, our friends, and um, we just talk about. Uh, facts that we have found, stories, we quiz each other, and uh, it's all about just uh, learning um, a bunch of ridiculous uh, tiny bits of knowledge so you can go to pub quiz and uh, do a better job. It's That's an really excellent cool. show. Free yeah. I've yeah. heard it. It's an excellent nice. show. Really Thanks. good work. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, so with that, also just quickly, if you're a listener of MVC and you have feedback, email us at MVC at IGN.com. Let us know what you think of the show. Or if you're feeling generous or just have general feedback as well, head on over to iTunes. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Uh, we're always reading your feedback. So uh, we're at the end here. So uh, let's share some Twitter handles. You can find Pear at? Pear IGN. You can find Chris at? It's Kobun Heat, K-O-B-U-N-H-E-A-T. And he is bringing that Kobun Heat, folks. Every day. <laughs> Every day. And I am at Jose underscore Otero. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back next week with more Nintendo Voice Chat.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.